Well, friends, I don't know what it's like where you live, but here in Colorado, fall is in the air. We have aspens turning gold in the mountains, and I get up in the morning, and I'm cold. <laughs> and I go outside, and I get colder because, well, I don't have any hair. Paul, you can relate. To I can that. relate. I can definitely relate. You know, fall is a time for a lot of things. We have football, going back to school, raking leaves, carving pumpkins, and of course, new TV shows. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, fall has traditionally been the season when the broadcast TV networks roll out their new comedies and dramas, and they're hoping for the next Friends, they're hoping for the next Seinfeld or Lost or shows that people are still watching years and years later. Most, of course, quickly fade into, well, non-remembrance, you know, maybe fodder for future Jeopardy questions like, I'll take forgotten TV pilots for 500. But these days, it's a little bit different than the way it was perhaps when we were growing up. Now, new TV can pop up almost year-round. And actually, even trying to define what qualifies as a TV show these days is a lot more difficult than it used to be. But traditions are hard to let go of, and especially those dinosaur broadcast networks that quite a few millions of people are still tuning into. So today we're going to talk about some buzzworthy new shows, some of them on broadcast television as well as streaming services, and we're also going to talk about some of the bigger trends we're seeing in the broader TV landscape. Then I'll be talking with our resident youth culture expert, Jonathan McKee, about blockbuster allegations that Facebook and Instagram have known for some time that their products may negatively impact many teens and what you need to know as a parent about these revelations. Well, joining me for our first segment to talk about TV today are Emily Clark and Paul Acey. Hey, guys. Hey. You know, I often ask questions to start our conversations about things that we watched as a kid, in part because it's fun to reminisce and in part because it shows something about our personality. But today, as we start our conversation about new TV shows, I want to ask this question. What's one TV show that you have watched as an adult that's grabbed your attention and why? Ooh, that's such a big question, especially since, you know, Emily and I both review TV for a living. We watch it's a true. lot of TV. And I'm going to give a really strange answer to this. I hoped that you would. You know, I, I think that you were sort of gunning for, you know, what do we watch in our spare time? Yeah. But the question, I'm going to take the question really literally and say, what grabbed your attention? And that would be the Americans. Okay. FX is Americans only because as a plugged in reviewer, it has huge, huge, huge problems. I am not going to suggest that anybody watch this show, but it is very crisply written. It has some weird spiritual, even Christian undertones about it. And it's really deals with family in terms of what we deal with at plugged in. The idea that it's all about family, the idea that it has this weirdly Christian content in a couple of, of seasons, the fact that it's so, so hard to wrap your brain around in terms of its content, that's what really drew my attention. It might be one of the most problematic 
and yet best written shows on TV. And it's about Russian spies, right? About Russian spies. Called the Americans. Exactly. It's about these, these, it takes place in the 80s, and it's about these Russian spies living in America, pretending to be a typical American family. And man, there's some real problems with it, but it is nicely written as well. Okay. Emily, what about you? I'm just going to go with Loki on Disney Plus, and it stood out to me not for, I mean, I'm sh- you can read our review for any content concerns that are there, but really for me, it was just about the entertainment factor. I think that becoming a TV critic has just sort of, I don't know, I don't like TV anymore. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really okay. will find myself going back and watching favorites from when I was younger even, and I'm like, oh... This has a lot of problems. I don't really like it anymore. <laughs> okay. You guys have ruined TV for me, but I really enjoyed Loki. <laughs> I like the storyline. I'm a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, yeah. All right. Well, I am um, I'm going to deliver a bit of a cheater answer. I'm going to follow my own dictates and still do something nostalgic. It's Cobra Kai, which started out on YouTube <laughs> and then moved to Netflix. Which, of course, is The Karate Kid plus 30 years. and It's well-written. It's well-written. It is, it's pretty meta in that it makes fun of itself, and it winks back to The Karate Kid constantly, but it does it in a way that's not annoying. And the other interesting thing about it is the bad guy from Karate Kid, Johnny Lawrence, is still bad in a lot of ways, but... It really is more a story about his character's redemption, and it has totally worked for me. So I could talk more about that, but that's actually not why we're here today. We are going to talk about TV and a number of shows that are debuting this fall, and we're going to talk about essentially a couple different things. What you need to know, why they're buzzworthy, why we've chosen these shows, and what the important things are for you to be aware of as a parent. So Paul, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about the wonder years. Haven't we seen this before? It sounds familiar to me. Yeah, it sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? And that's one of the the interesting things about TV today. I think we've talked about this before, even on this podcast. But because the television landscape is so saturated, because there's so much competition, these, these television makers are going back to what really worked 20, 30, 40 years before. It's a little online with uh, Cobra Kai. It is, and I wasn't even trying to connect those dots, but that nostalgia thing, it's a double you know, punch, if you will. It, it not only draws from something we experienced when we were a kid, but it cuts through the marketing clutter because Absolutely. with so much stuff out there, you've got a known franchise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Back to you, Paul. Back to me. <laughs> so the Wonder Years, the new Wonder Years actually feels in some ways much like the old one, but it takes a totally different twist. As we know, the first one was really dependent on Kevin Arnold, played by by Fred Savage. We watched it all. We watched his saga with Winnie Cooper, the whole thing. Oh, Winnie. This, <laughs> this hits a lot of the same notes, but it takes place in Montgomery, Alabama, with a black family. And that brings a totally new and, texture. And what's the time setting? And the time setting is actually 1968. So we're talking about a time when, when obviously a lot of civil rights issues are right on the front line. Um, you're talking about a lot of civil tension, uh, particularly, I would imagine, in Montgomery, Alabama. And mm. so it digs into some of those those deeper issues while giving this really poignant family story some breathing room. It feels 
a lot like the original Wonder Years in terms of its focus on innocence, in terms of its focus on relationship and friendship and family. Um, it has some problems. Yeah, what are the problems that parents need to be aware of if you're like, oh, I love the Wonder Years as a kid. We can enjoy this one as a family. Well, recommended, I... <laughs> not recommended, or somewhere in between? Here's the funny thing, and this goes back to what Emily was saying. I think when you watch through a certain lens, we the shows that we might have watched as kids tend to be a little bit more crass than what we remember them as. And I think Mm -hmm. the first Wonder Years falls under that template. Hmm. Um, This Wonder Years is probably a little bit more crass. It probably has a bit more language. It has a few more adult elements. But it's still TV PG. And it does have that sort of innocent quality about it. There are going to be some language issues that parents need to be aware of. There's going to be some some sexual, sensual illusions mm-hmm. because the kid that we're focusing on, uh, Dean Williams, is he's 12 years old. So he's just sort of stepping into that world of puberty with all Coming the issues that come along with that. But I really actually enjoyed this show. I thought it was well-written, well-made, enough of the original to hook me and yet a different enough story where it didn't get boring. Okay, and that one's on... ABC. That one's on one of those old dinosaur networks. One of those old dinosaur networks. Speaking of dinosaur networks, when I was in, oh, when I was a wee lad back in elementary school, I remember our unit learning about dinosaurs and the La Brea tar pits, (laughs) where apparently dinosaurs, thinking they were getting a drink, went to get stuck and die. And I just can't help but wonder... Does that have something to do with the new NBC and Peacock show, La Brea? Emily, you you reviewed La Brea. Tell us about it. Uh, well, I'll tell you that, yes, for people who know what the tar pits are, they are there, but it's not central around that. That's just where they got the title <laughs> so of the show from. So it's a bait from. and switch. It is I'm a already sinkhole that opens up right where the La Brea tar pits are located in Los Angeles, and everybody who falls into this sinkhole um, actually falls through a portal to a prehistoric version of Los Angeles, and there are saber-toothed tigers, there are dinosaur birds, there are um, giant wolves that like to eat people. I um, love it. Say yeah. more. So let's talk about some of the issues right there. You know, we it's a, right off the bat, it is pretty violent. Like, you're watching these people fall into this hole, and you're just like, oh my goodness. Like, it is not fun to watch um, that part of it. But I think what's going to draw people to it is that it's very similar to Lost. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that earlier No, in when I saw the commercial for it, I'm like, oh, it looks like Lost only with saber-toothed tigers. Am, yeah. I, am I in the ballpark? It is not identical to Lost, but you are going to have a lot of mystery and intrigue. It revolves around this family where, you know, the wife and the son fall into the pit and then the husband and the daughter are stuck on top and they're the ones dealing with the government. But the twist is that the dad has actually been having visions of this prehistoric place for the past three years, ever since he was in a plane crash that somehow, as the season goes on, we will learn how it plays out, but Somehow that plane crash triggered all of these events to happen. There's always a plane crash, right? I always mean, a plane crash. Manifest, <laughs> loss. I, I totally want to watch it now because I'm a sucker for plane crashes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels much different than the Wonder Years. I'll say that much. But it, it does get to a point that we see more and more, I think, in TV. And I think it's partially because of Lost. When you have so many different television-based stories that are playing, 
you need something special to draw you in. You need that intrigue, that mystery, because it keeps people coming back episode after episode. And I think that's what they're gunning for here. Absolutely. So you've mentioned the violence. Is there anything else that families need to be aware of here? Uh, language is definitely an issue here. Um, the dad, uh, who I previously mentioned, is also an alcoholic. Um, that's something to be looking out for. And then it's unclear whether or not there will be any sexuality. Um, there's definitely a vibe between the son and this other girl. So um, as the series goes on, that could build up and become more graphic. But as of right now, it doesn't look like there's any sexuality. Well, and because it's on network television, we know that there are going to be some built-in restrictions on how far yeah. they can go. And say what you want about network television, there are still limits in place in terms of what you can do with content. And there's a level of graphic violence and a level of sexuality that you're not going to see there where it seems like it's almost a requirement in every, you know, prestige show on Netflix or Amazon prime or HBO max. And I want to use that as a segue to a show that has popped up on the radar, literally out of nowhere. Like some of these shows get advertised and you think, Oh, I'm, I really want to watch that. And then these things happen. It's like, wow, what is that? Where did that come from? And everybody is talking about it. This is a show called The Squid Game, and it is on Netflix. And Paul, tell us about The Squid Game and why people are buzzing about this in all kinds of ways. Yeah, Squid Game is reputed to be perhaps Netflix's most popular show ever. It hit number one on... In a week, right? In, in a week. It hit number one at, on 90 different countries' platforms. Wow. So it was a huge, massive hit. Um, it's a South Korean product. Okay. And it, it essentially involves these people... Does it have subtitles? It actually is dubbed. It's dubbed, okay. In, in Into the you. United States, it's dubbed, okay. so we hear it. Um, essentially, it brings in a bunch of very indebted, literally people carrying a great deal of, of debt uh, in South Korea. They say this is their last chance to get out of debt, to start their lives that they really wanted to start. What they want them to do is come to this place and play a bunch of children's games against each other. If you what win, could possibly go wrong? <laughs> if you win, you get a lot of money. But if you lose, as the contestants find out much to their surprise in the first episode... You die. Um, hmm. And die badly, too, right? And die very, very badly. Um, the first episode featured literally hundreds of deaths and graphic deaths. We are talking about blood. We are talking about, oh, just all manner of just really horrible images Um Obviously, there's a lot going on here, but the thing that I think most people have glommed onto, in a way, is just the incredible content that you see here in terms of its graphic content. Um, it is disturbing. You not only have people getting shot to death, they get stabbed, they fall off of ledges. All it's right, just, all right. We got okay. it. We got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean to actually just completely cut you off there, even though I just did. Um, <laughs> Here's what I think is interesting about this. This is a show that obviously has extraordinary content issues. It's made, you would think, for adults, but where it's taken off is with kids. And I was talking to a friend actually just yesterday, and she's like, this is the thing that all of the kids at her school 
are talking about. And I remember back when I was in high school, whatever the most extreme thing was, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to the amusement park, are you willing to go on the scariest roller coaster? Mm, right? That's like, a good comparison. like there's a thing with horror, and I don't know if this is straight up horror or just horrible or both. It's just horrible. Um, where you sort of want to be able to say, I survived watching this this awful thing. But I mean, what do we need to say to parents about their kids potentially getting sucked into this show or, you know, they come home talking about it because their friends are watching it at school? It's a really difficult road for parents to navigate, honestly. And this is the world that we live in. You talked about how there are still constraints in network television. And that's really true. You you know that there are going to be some bad shows out there, but they're not going to be that bad. This is R-rated material here when if we're talking about worse. Squid Game. Yeah. It is just very harsh. And you're right. The kids, because there aren't those latches to keep kids away from it, they are watching it. The peer pressure when you're talking about kids of elementary school age, middle school age, it can be pretty tremendous, and they are watching this show. So I think the parents have to be very, very mindful of having good, good conversations up front. I mean, really sort of unpack a lot of these issues. You know, if your child is saying, can I watch Squid Game? Say, listen, let's walk this back and say, this is why we might not let you, and this is why this content is troubling. You know, this might be a good time to mention that we do have a YouTube video and blog that lays out how to block shows like Squid Game on Netflix. So go to our YouTube channel, go to our blog. It's Netflix Parental Controls. You can set up accounts for your kids where you can block certain titles and you can block certain TV ratings. I assume this is TVMA. Mm -hmm. You can block all that stuff. And you can, if they're watching at home and you want to stop them from watching at home, you can stop it at least right there. If they're going to a friend's house to watch it, you know, you might want to talk to the parents of the friends. But, um, but yeah, that's definitely want to check that out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, now more than ever with this graphic content on, I mean, it's on all of the streaming services. You really need to do your homework on parental controls. Uh, and that one is a great place to start because a lot of us have Netflix. Well, we're going to deal with one last show. Emily, tell us about the lost symbol on Peacock and what families need to know about that. Well, it's ironic that we were just sitting here talking about all the graphic violence because, you know, if you can count on a Dan Brown novel for anything, it's that graphic violence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, The Lost Symbol is based on the book by Dan Brown. He's the author of The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, Inferno, all three of which were turned into movies, directed by Ron Howard, starring Tom Hanks as Robert Langdon. Um, Tom Hanks, unfortunately, is not in this version. It's some other guy, (laughs) younger guy, playing Robert Langdon. But it's the same character. You know, he's that... I think the... Besides the graphic violence, what you're going to find in this is a certain disdain towards Christianity. Really all organized religion, but specifically towards Christianity. So in this particular novel, and therefore it could show up in the TV show as well... Um, It takes a jab at the Bible directly, uh, suggesting that the Bible is an instruction manual 
teaching us how to unlock our godlike abilities. Uh, Therefore, mm. we can become gods. You know, wow. it's it's a whole thing in the in the book, and I'm pretty sure that they will, of course, take liberties with the show. But I have a feeling it's going to steer that direction because it's already taken a few jabs at Christianity and faith. Um, so yeah, so you've got the spiritual aspect, you've got some mild language, you've got the graphic graphic violence um and there and there's also some romantic aspects uh this is only showing on peacock not on nbc so you know the problems we were talking about with streaming platforms those romantic things could become more um graphic as the series goes on you know at plugged in one of the things we wrestle with is that there's so much stuff out there and that's especially true with tv so we've just spent some time this morning talking about four shows in particular that uh, are pretty high on the buzzometer right now. But each week in our TV section, if you're not familiar with it, we typically review sometimes two or three new shows and we'll go back and sometimes pick up six, sometimes six. And sometimes we'll go back and pick up older shows and do new episode reviews too. So you may think of plugged in primarily as a movie resource, but we want to give you everything you need to know about all the hottest shows out there on TV these days as well. And I hope that as we have talked about this today, it's helped to remind you that, man, the world of TV is a complicated world. And especially with these streaming services, we have more to deal with than ever. But at the same time, we have resources such as the parental controls with these services and also what we're offering you at Plugged In to help you navigate those things for your family. So I hope this has given you something to think about this weekend um, as you maybe are thinking about what to watch on TV. Well, now I'm going to spend some time talking with Jonathan McKee about a big news story involving leaked information out of Instagram and what they really know about the way this particular social media platform influences teens. Well, joining me for our second segment today is Jonathan McKee. And you may know that Jonathan is an expert in popular culture and technology. And I love occasionally just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him where we can do a deep dive with regard to technology and how it's influencing teens today. And we're going to be doing that today. One of the biggest stories in the media the last few weeks has been a whistleblower who released information to the Wall Street Journal about Facebook and Instagram's internal research. And if you didn't know, Facebook actually owns Instagram. So even though they're separate social media platforms, it's kind of one company. And this whistleblower was really concerned with the fact that Facebook and Instagram had done some internal research that demonstrated how their platforms were having a potentially negative effect on young users, but that was not what they were saying in the media. So today, Jonathan and I are gonna unpack that story and think through what the takeaway is for families. So Jonathan, I've started to sort of describe this story, but flesh it out for us. What, what's going on here and why is this such a big deal? Yeah, it's interesting because I love the fact that something's being brought to light. Um, that honestly researchers have been examining and seeing for quite a while. If we were given a greater history of what's going on here, you know, it would, I think it really goes back to in January of 2007 when uh, a guy wearing jeans and sneakers walked out on a stage and made an announcement that they're going to reinvent the phone. I'm talking, of course, about Jobs, and he brought up yeah, this Steve thing Jobs. called the... Yeah, and this thing called 
the iPhone. And that was in 2007. Let's fast forward just five years. And if you look historically at, you know, things exploding and how fast trends catch on, within five years, over half of Americans had a smartphone in their pocket. And, and I mean, you go back to like the Industrial Revolution and you look at, you know, things that, you know, kind of took on and stuff. Nothing has taken this fast. And all of a sudden there we have 2012, something happens. 2012, not only is that the year that we crossed the 50% mark for owning, you know, smartphones and carrying them around with us. That is the year that Snapchat came out. That is the year that Instagram became a thing. And I know because my daughters were both in high school. And so mid high school for them, everything changed. Now, likes and followers were these big issues now because it wasn't just walking into a classroom and going, do they like me? It's now looking down at your screen after school all night long. Do they like me? And this has been going on since 2012. And since that has happened, we've noticed a spike in depression, anxiety, suicide, to the point that researchers have literally gathered and said, what is going on? On. And we've seen like documentaries like, you know, on Netflix, we all saw it. And remember, we've talked about it on this show, uh, The Social Dilemma, uh, where they were kind of sitting there saying, hey, uh, all of a sudden we had guys who had kind of made some of these algorithms to try to get you to spend more time, spend as much time on social media. They were coming out and kind of admitting, hey, yeah. We do do that. We try to get people to spend as much time on social media. And we had other researchers talking about, man, here's how much this is affecting young people. And then last year, in 2020, there was a very important piece of research that came out. We've talked about that on this show as well. And that is what Dr. Gene Twinge and Dr. Jonathan Haidt, when they came, it literally brought all the researchers together and said, okay, there's been lots of debate. What do we all agree on? And they agreed on two things. One, there is a mental health crisis. And two, the amount of time that young people spend on social media, especially girls, is affecting them big time. And if there's one thing we need to pay attention to when it comes to our kids' screen time, it is how much time they spend on social media. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jonathan. And I think back to, in some ways, this echoes the some of the studies that were done in the 70s and the 80s with regard to smoking, and stay with me here because this connection might not seem immediately no, no, obvious. You know, back then there was beginning to be a question about does smoking lead to all of these bad outcomes, specifically lung cancer? And initially, you had smoking companies that tried to minimize and poo-poo this evidence and say, no, 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 this is not a thing. We don't care. It's not a problem. You guys are making a mountain out of a molehill. And of course, we know that the smoking companies internally behind closed doors, they knew they had a problem and they knew they had a marketing problem. And so their first response was denial. And of course, you know, fast forward three decades or so, we all know that smoking causes lung cancer and the smoking companies are now required to put these huge, you know, cautionary labels on all of their products saying, oh, by the way, if you use this, you might die. Yeah. Right. And I don't think Instagram is likely to kill us biologically in the same way that smoking might kill somebody biologically. But I wonder if we're going through a similar process, because what's happened here is that somebody who worked inside Instagram and Facebook came out and said, look. We have all of these documents that show exactly what this other research is showing and that about a third of the young teenage girls and tween girls who use our product 
end up with bad mental health outcomes, which is almost exactly what Gene Twenge and these other researchers' information has shown. But publicly, even as recently as earlier this year, they were coming out and saying, oh, no, no, it's not a problem. And in fact, there might be, you know, social benefits to connecting with other kids. So talk about that for a minute. Well, well, it is interesting because, uh, yeah, and I'm, by the way, I'm waiting for that label that's going to appear on Instagram too. By the way, <laughs> we are research shows that anytime over an hour or two a day on this app has shown to be detrimental to your mental health. I'm waiting for that label to have to be on Instagram. But it is interesting because we actually have seen this before in, in other little ways. Uh, for example, uh, in November, of 2019. So we're talking, you know, two years ago now, Instagram CEO at the time actually tried something and said, okay, let's test something. And they, they tested it in seven different countries, which was hiding the likes that mm. people see. And the reason that the CEO cited that is he said, you know, we're going to make decisions that hurt the business if they help people's well-being and health. So he basically said, hey, listen, we're going to put mental health above likes here. Um, and, and he said this, we want to create a less pressurized environment where people feel comfortable expressing themselves. So back then, two years ago, they saw that likes affect young people. So they actually beta tested this thing in seven different countries and people were in an uproar and all this and it never, and as you, in well, pull out your Instagram and look, do you see likes? There's the answer for whether or not it, it took or not. But they knew this back then. They saw this was affecting young people. They kind of made this quick little effort of maybe we should do something about this. So something needs to be done. This is affecting young people. But let's talk about what we can do. Mm, I mean, I, yeah, I always get to the practical. Definitely. The practical for us is we as parents, this is an opportunity for us, again, to not overreact but to interact with our kids. This mm. is an opportunity for us to be able to sit down and dialogue about some of this stuff. You know, whether that means throwing on the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and going, huh? And after that scene where Dr. Jonathan Haidt, there's a scene where this girl, like, uh, posts something on Instagram, and then all of a sudden the comments start rolling in, and somebody makes a comment about her ears, and you see her just reach up gently and touch her ears, thinking to herself, are my ears really big? And he gives all the statistics about what's happening in mental health. And that'd be just a moment that you'll hit the old pause button and go, wow, have you ever noticed that? Does that seem to affect the people at your school? What do you think about this? And to get our kids dialoguing about this and talking about this, bringing this issue to the dinner table so that we can address it and not just slap down with a bunch of rules, no more phones, but respond in dialogue and then yeah maybe making some adjustments yeah maybe making some tweaks like hey first of all we aren't going to have tech at the table let's have a tech free zone at the dinner table and maybe another tech free zone is going to be the the bedroom at night we're not going to be staring at social media all night especially since this research is clearly saying no more than an hour or two social media per day and most kids are way over that yeah that's exactly right and i think I think in terms of the core issues here, you talked about the like button and how we want that affirmation. Um, but everybody who's ever grown up knows that being a an adolescent is a time where you are you're growing, you're changing, and you naturally compare yourself to yeah. everybody. And and I think that one of the core problems with social media for young users is all of a sudden you have a platform for comparing yourself 
that it goes supernova compared to what it would have been in the you know the age before social media. Well, and the comparison is the thing that really strikes my heart, and it strikes me personally. When my daughter Alyssa and I wrote this book together about face-to-face connections in a screen-to-screen world, um, she wrote this one chapter where she just kind of bared her soul as a young 20-something, and she was working at a college at the time, and her job was an admissions counselor. So she spent all her time with high school students. She, at the time, was working in a youth group with high school students. And she herself, thinking, you know, you'd think, oh, well, she's dealing with this with these young kids. She herself was dealing with this comparison thing with Instagram. And she tells the story of this day where she just spent with her friends. And and it became more about what they were posting than the experience they were having. And it just... it kind of turned out to be this nightmare day and at the end of it she just ended up throwing her phone across the room and saying I'm done and she decided to take an Instagram fast Mm. of all the social media she kind of chose Instagram not not that it's the bad guy but at the time she was like this thing is just making me compare myself to others and then she said this I'll never forget it she goes in comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And I just always remember that. And for her, she decided to take a year off. And it was phenomenal to see what happened. As a matter of fact, she wrapped up in the book in this closing chapter, telling the story of her and her friend driving down the road in a convertible, wind blowing through their hair. And as she describes this moment, she says, you know, it was so freeing Mm. to just enjoy the moment. She says, if it had been months before, I would have been thinking about, oh, I got to take a picture of this so I can post it. And wait, my arm looks too fat. Oh, wait, now how? And she said she would have got all caught up in that. But instead, she and her friend just enjoyed the moment. I love that. I love that idea that comparison is the thief of joy. And obviously, we have a spiritual enemy who is a thief, too. And he comes to steal and to kill and destroy uh, and without being overly dramatic. I don't want to, like, say Instagram is of the devil but I do think it's something that, that he can use to cause real damage. And the statistics that we've talked about uh, really, I think, are evidence of how this particular adaptation, this innovation in our culture has caused significant damage for a lot of people. And, and as you've talked about, just as we bring this conversation into a close, I think, I think the takeaway for parents is not that there's a silver bullet that's going to instantly solve this problem overnight. Uh, but looking for ways that you can make small adjustments or maybe even medium-sized adjustments. You may get some pushback um, from your kids, but but saying, okay, we're going to put boundaries in place in this area and we're going to talk about how this is influencing us and we're going to try to limit the influence there. And let's not just villainize Instagram. Honestly, I feel like Facebook's doing the same thing for adults. I think TikTok's doing this in a much bigger way right now with young people. I think TikTok is the place where young people are feeling like, I got to look like that. I got to be that good. I need that many followers. So, I mean, social media as a whole, any place where you're getting likes and followers, this is affecting young people. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for taking some time today to help us think through this important and complex issue. And I hope that if you're a parent out there listening today, this has been practical and encouraging and concrete and hang in there. We can keep making adjustments and we don't have to throw in the towel on this, but we can help our kids to navigate this important part of their lives in a way that ultimately is life-giving to them as opposed to a place that pulls them down in the ways that we have talked about today. Well, now it's time for a little segment in the show we like to call Culture Culture Countdown. Countdown. 
and I'm joined again by Emily and Paul. You guys know the drill. You have 30 seconds to tell us something significant culture-wise about what's happening out there that families need to know about. Emily, I choose you. You get to go first this week. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I know. It feels like a Pokemon show all of a it sudden, does. doesn't it? <laughs> so, are you ready? Absolutely. You are ready. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. An article in Business Insider has speculated that uh, power players in the music industry will no longer be using radio, but be using TikTok to launch new creators, find new creators. They are actually, there are record labels actually paying social media influencers uh, to promote certain songs on TikTok and Instagram Reels in order to build the platform for new musical artists wow, and old wow. musical artists. That's fascinating, actually. Not only is it fascinating, but she snuck in just under the bell. She is a pro at this. <laughs> I feel right. the pressure. That's pretty interesting. Just how influential an app like TikTok that we might think is just throwaway. But anyway, Paul, are you ready? I know you are. I can see it in your eyes. You got the eye of the tiger. Got the eye of the tiger. Right? Emily's going to be a hard act to follow, but we'll see what <laughs> I can do. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Why not? Three. Why not? Two. One, go. So we just spent a lot of time talking about TV, and I wanted to tell you about a few things that are coming up that go into this whole TV conversation. HBO Max has two new shows coming out, totally predicated on nostalgia and popular series. Sex in the City is getting a, a remake called And Just Like That. 30 years after the original or 20 years after the original <laughs> and then there's going to be a Game of Thrones prequel called oh, yeah. House of the Dragon I saw that one that you were just talking about um, I saw an ad for that earlier today so that's interesting I had another minute and a half that I could have you gone. did not you did not though because the timer went off 30 you seconds have, the time. have come and gone and I'm really, honestly in some I'm really sort of upset some sort of justice turn. I'm now handing you my phone okay. for you All right. to time me. Okay. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Boom. So, some of us have a hard enough time finding clothes to wear in the real world, but the latest trend in fashion is digital clothes. <laughs> I am not just talking about clothes for your avatar in some game. I am talking about people designing and selling digital clothes that you put on pictures of yourself online. And fashion designers are seeing this as the next big opportunity for them to make money selling clothes that aren't real. But I'll stop there. <laughs> Wow. All right. To me, that's just Photoshop, though. So I, <laughs> if yeah. I, if I wore digital clothes into work, I think that would be an HR violation. Uh, I'm pretty sure it would. The I, emperor's new clothes. Right, right. And uh, I feel this conversation slipping away from <laughs> us rapidly. So I'm going to draw this episode of Culture Countdown to a close. And again, you can find links to each of the articles that we have talked about today in the show notes for today's episode. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us today at the Plugged In Show. What did you think about our conversation? What TV shows are you watching right now? What has piqued your interest? What shows would you like us to review that maybe we haven't, that you're curious about? So we would love to hear from you about those 
at either Facebook or Instagram, even though we just talked about some of the dangers of Instagram, <laughs> or maybe take the safe route and shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And we would love to keep this conversation going with you. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, The Teen's Guide to Face-to-Face Connections in a Screen-to-Screen World. And you'll find a link to order that book in the show notes for today's episode. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, as always, thanks so much for taking some time to join us for this week's conversation. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.